Excited Utterance, the Evidence and Proof Podcast. Episode number 96, Julia Simon Kerr, Unmasking Demeanor. Welcome to Excited Utterance. I'm your host, Alex Nunn, from the University of Arkansas School of Law. Excited Utterance is your podcast for cutting-edge scholarship and developments in the world of evidence and proof. We bring virtual workshops to you throughout the academic year. Today, Julia Simon Kerr is returning to the podcast. Julia, of course, is a professor of law at the University of Connecticut Law School, and she's perhaps the nation's leading expert on credibility and lying in the courtroom. Her scholarship on this front, I know, has been cited extensively by courts, by scholars, by practitioners alike. Now today, though, the podcast is turning to modern events, as Julia discusses how the COVID-19 crisis might influence credibility assessments in the courtroom. For example, how might, let's say, a mask mandate in the courtroom affect juror perceptions of witness credibility? Julia's paper, Unmasking Demeanor, which is forthcoming in the George Washington Law Review Arguendo, tackles that issue head-on. And her inside and really unparalleled expertise makes for a fascinating conversation. Julia, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So your paper is really cool because it considers how the COVID-19 crisis, something that we're all experiencing right now, is influencing trials in significant ways. And in particular here, you're highlighting the fact that people are, of course, going to have to wear masks during trial, right? It's an important step um, for their health and just an important step to reduce the spread of the virus. But in terms of adjudication, why is that mandate, the mandate that everyone in the courtroom should be wearing masks, why is it more significant than we might first realize? Yeah, so it's more significant to be wearing masks in the courtroom than other places in our lives, like walking down the sidewalk or in the grocery store, because in the courtroom, we have this deep concern with demeanor, at least in the U.S. legal system. We think it's really, really important to be able to see the faces and the expressions and the eye movements and all kinds of things that are represented on the face of witnesses. And you note that, you know, mask wearing in the courtroom, it kind of gives us an opportunity to reassess law's emphasis on demeanor evidence, right? So first, we've used this term a couple of times now, what do we actually mean when we say demeanor? You know, whose demeanor are we talking about here? Yeah, so demeanor is a lot of things. It's not just facial expressions, but it can also be body language, attentiveness, things that are signaled from us that are nonverbal. But a lot of it comes from the face. And the demeanor that the legal system is most concerned with is the demeanor of witnesses in trials. Although scholars have pointed out for a long time that we might also care about the demeanor of the attorneys, of the judges, of people in the courtroom, fact finders, particularly jurors, can be looking at the demeanor of lots of different actors, even if they're not sworn, if they're in the courtroom. But for, our, for purposes of what the law formally cares about, it is the witnesses on the stand. And... Where perhaps do we see some examples in the law 
of the law emphasizing the importance, or perhaps we should say here, the alleged importance, um, if there are questions about it, of demeanor evidence, if you will. Is that the right term, demeanor evidence, or is it really kind of a form of meta-evidence, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think we can call it demeanor evidence, even though there's this uneasy relationship with whether it actually is (laughs) evidence or not, (laughs) Uh which we can maybe talk about a little more. But some of the ways that it gets emphasized, and this is one of those nice times where when I'm teaching, I tell the students, well, many different parts of the system are all joining together to sort of make the same point. So here we have the idea that we don't allow hearsay except for certain exceptions. And part of that is based on the notion that we need to be able to see the witness. We need to test the witness's capacities, memory, narration, sincerity. And a lot of how we're doing that is by, at least theoretically doing it, is by looking at the witness in addition to hearing the witness. Then we also have rules like Rule 52A of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, which specifies a clear error standard of review for appellate courts reviewing trial courts' findings of fact, which is largely because appellate judges don't have a chance to see the demeanor of witnesses. So the idea is that we need to actually defer to the fact finder at trial and their judgment about the credibility of witnesses because they are the only ones who could see the witnesses. And then there are other places where we get an emphasis on demeanor that aren't necessarily completely tied to those two. For example, in the Immigration and Nationalization Act, Congress provides that immigration judges may base their credibility determinations on demeanor. And then they have a list of things, which also includes candor, responsiveness, some other attributes. And that's actually significant to me because there are very few statutes where Congress has talked at all about how to make credibility determinations. So, you know, this is one of the the very few that I have been able to find where Congress has made clear what they think credibility is. And it has to do with, you know, they list demeanor first on that list. So I want to double back for a second, because I think um, you mentioned hearsay for a second, and of course the importance that hearsay places on bringing individuals into the courtroom to the witness box where their uh, uh, demeanor can be observed. And of course hearsay is, is a huge component of evidence law, and I'm curious, do we also see consideration or regulation of demeanor in our evidence codes? Yeah, so we don't see regulation of demeanor evidence in most evidence codes. It's not referenced in the federal rules of evidence. And as we know, the vast majority of states have moved to model their rules after those rules, although with a lot of modifications. And this is why in his really awesome article called Evidence Without Rules, Bennett Capers makes a case that demeanor is one of these forms of evidence without rules, which is information fact finders may use to make judgments, but that isn't governed by formal evidentiary provisions. Although there is an exception to this, and there may be more, but the one that I was interested in for this essay is in Michigan, they have a rule which gives courts in the state reasonable control over the appearance of parties and witnesses. 
in order to ensure the demeanor of such persons may be observed and assessed by the fact finder. So they've got a rule that's explicitly saying courts can make orders and require witnesses to do modify their garments, or I'm not sure what else they mean by that, in order to make sure that the fact finder can see their demeanor. I have one more question on this front, because I'm curious about the relationship also between demeanor evidence and not just evidentiary codes, but also the Sixth Amendment's confrontation right at trial. So have any courts deemed jury observation of demeanor an essential component of what we would consider to be that confrontation right? Yes. So this is one of the biggest hurdles to if we want to reconsider the role of demeanor in trials or in the U.S. legal system is that demeanor is listed by the Supreme Court as one of the elements of confrontation. And this goes back a long, long way to 1895, a case called Maddox, where the Supreme Court said it's so important to make a witness stand face to face with the jury in order that they may look at him and judge by his demeanor upon the stand and the manner in which he gives his testimony, whether he is worthy of belief. And so more recently in Maryland versus Craig, the court, you know, reaffirmed that this demeanor is one of these elements of confrontation and it's you know crucial for fact finders to be able to see demeanor so they can judge witnesses' credibility. So your observation here is really just fascinating, and it seems to me that kind of the law is clearly expressing a preference for the evaluation of credibility through demeanor, emphasizing demeanor as an essential component of credibility. So I kind of for a second want to dive deeper here because that's, I think, a really important takeaway. How perhaps do cultural norms or cultural assumptions shape our perceptions of demeanor evidence? I think it's assumed in our society that all of what we've just been talking about, that, oh, well, we need to see people in order to judge whether we believe them. That's, I think, will sound like common sense to a lot of people, right? In the United States, we think, oh, well, if I see your face, you know, I can make a pretty good judgment about whether I want to believe you or not. We put a lot of emphasis on showing our thoughts on our faces. And so here the law is really reflecting something that's pretty deeply held in the culture, this idea that we can read people, we can read demeanor and learn important clues about whether to trust someone based on their face and to a lesser extent their body language. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. Because perhaps the law seeks to advance those cultural assumptions about demeanor, that you can read um, the credibility of an individual from their expression or from um, their outward appearance, because that assumption is, is factually accurate, that, that demeanor evidence is a, a good proxy for credibility. Is there any empirical literature that's going to bear that out, or is that a, kind of a false assumption? So there is not any empirical literature that will bear that out. So (laughs) I think I can say it's a false assumption, despite the fact that it's so widely held. Mm -hmm. So psychology researchers have been really interested in this question. And there are a couple of meta-analyses, which are studies that analyze the results of other studies. So they're considered more useful in getting a big picture sense of 
what the takeaway from research has been. There are a couple of these meta-analyses that have concluded that nonverbal cues are, for the most part, totally unrelated to deception. So if people are instructed, you know, pay attention to nonverbal cues, just look at this face and tell me if they're lying, people are do worse than chance on in those studies. And actually, those studies are from the mid-2000s, 2003, 2006. And from reading more recent literature from psychologists, they basically stopped doing work in that area because they view those as so conclusive. Pulling back to the legal setting here, uh, have courts yet acknowledged that, hey, you know, there's no evidence that demeanor evidence actually provides an indicator of truthfulness? Are, are they acknowledging this this absence of supporting evidence in the empirical literature? No, courts are not acknowledging this. In part, they're a little bit constrained from doing so because the confrontation clause, jurisprudence says demeanor is so important. Hearsay says demeanor is so important, right? It would be difficult. I'm not trying to make excuses, but given the doctrinal landscape, it would be difficult to push back too forcefully against this. You know, there's been scholarship on this. People for for 40 years, at least, kind of questioning, well, what is demeanor? Was it really doing for us? And then some more recently scholars pointing to the psychological literature on this, but you don't see that reflected in judicial opinions for the most part. Great. So let's return now to the COVID-19 crisis, kind of that omnipresent factor right now in all of our lives. And you note that these new rules requiring witnesses to wear masks in the courtroom, they pose a fundamental challenge to the way that the legal system has approached credibility through, through demeanor, right? So if you would, build out that claim, kind of your central claim for us. The claim, and I think it's this part of it is pretty straightforward, is that if we're going to see courtrooms where everybody is wearing a mask, the judge, witnesses, attorneys, jurors, anybody who's in attendance, that is a huge change for the legal system. And it places a barrier, not to make a pun or anything, but in our way, a physical barrier to evaluating credibility if we believe that credibility is so deeply tied to demeanor. And this is not just me saying that a mask would place a barrier, but there's some case law on this where witnesses have tried to testify in disguises, maybe because it's a case where the witness fears retaliation and the prosecutors have tried to make arrangements so the witness can testify in a disguise. And there aren't that many of these cases, but the courts have said, well, yeah, the, if we're covering up half your face, that does prevent us from reading demeanor. However, it might at times be justified. So I want to pull together a few of these threads because we kind of have an interesting combination or co-location of factors here. And it's interesting to think that without mass witnesses, without the requirement that, that anyone has to wear a mask in the courtroom, that courtroom outcomes might actually be less accurate because of the dangers associated with demeanor evidence. Is there any empirical evidence kind of detailing this relationship between facial coverings and factual accuracy? There is a little bit of empirical evidence on this. 
which comes from a mock juror study that was done 2016, I believe it came out, where the researchers were looking at the question of witnesses wearing niqab or a hijab. So coverings that either cover just the hair or hair and part of the face, but not the eyes. And that study found that participants confirmed, which we've seen in many, many, many studies, that for the test case, when witnesses were just wearing street clothes, the mock jurors were no better than chance at evaluating their truthfulness. What was really wild was that when witnesses wore niqabs or hijabs, the observer's performance at detecting lies actually improved to above chance levels. Didn't improve very far above chance levels, but still it it was fascinating that that there would be an improvement when you see less of the person. And the researchers hypothesized that because those garments limit the amount of visual information that's available, it forced the mock jurors to focus more on what was being said and to base their decisions on verbal cues rather than demeanor-based cues. And they even found that in the mock jurors were more likely to not actually watch the video, which they were being shown of the testimony, when the witnesses were wearing coverings, and rather to just kind of turn away and listen. So this mock juror studies are not the greatest. They can't really recreate the courtroom setting, but I still think it was a nicely done study, and it does give us some indication that actually covering up witnesses might help us focus on their words and come to better conclusions about whether they're lying or not. Kind of circling back here to a point that we discussed before, even if mask wearing improves decision-making accuracy by reducing reliance on demeanor evidence, are we still going to have confrontation problems? You know, does the confrontation clause inherently provide defendants for the right for the jury to observe witness demeanor, not just to, to hear testimony, perhaps? Yeah, so as I said, the court has said that demeanor is an element of confrontation. At the same time, the doctrine from Maryland versus Craig, where the court said in certain situations, child witnesses might be able to testify remotely if it's necessary to further an important state interest, I think would apply here and at least during this time of pandemic, a challenge to mask wearing by witnesses would probably be met with the court saying, well, this is necessary to further an important state interest, which is controlling a pandemic. I don't think in the long run that this will change that doctrine, but I, I do think that that carve out will be useful in the short term in allowing mask wearing to go forward despite the confrontation clause. What other benefits might the legal system see during this period of mask wearing in the courtroom, if you will? Yeah, so this is kind of why I wanted to write this essay about mask wearing, because I think we have this opportunity right now to actually reevaluate our obsession with demeanor, our insistence that demeanor is so important to judging credibility. You know, if everyone in the courtroom is wearing a mask and we can become familiar with that scenario and realize that things move forward, good judgments are being made, 
it might give us a chance to sort of break out of this dependence on looking at faces and this sort of unfounded belief that we need to see full faces in order to make judgments about truthfulness of witnesses. Julia, last question. What's next for the literature here? What kind of additional paper would, would give us some more insight on this issue? Yeah, so I mean, there are a couple of ways to go. It would be interesting if empiricists could find a way to collect some data about what's happening when we do have trials that are conducted with masked witnesses and everybody in the courtroom wearing masks. My own research agenda is to keep working on this question of demeanor and the broader question of credibility, which is something I've been working on for a while now, as some listeners might know, but to kind of tease out this broader way in which credibility in our legal system is really not a measure of truthfulness, the way that it is instantiated. It's rather a measure of whether people can perform credibility. Can you have the right demeanor? Can you have the right appearance? Are you able to tell a coherent narrative? Are you able to tell a story that jurors think is a credible story? And these are all things that the legal system emphasizes as part of truth-seeking, but I think they're very connected with demeanor, what we've been talking about, which is that they're a way that culturally we like to judge people, but they're not necessarily a way that we're actually going to get good information. Julia, this has really been a fascinating conversation. Thanks so much uh, for coming back to the show. Thank you so much, Alex. It's always so fun to be on this podcast, and I'm want to thank you and Ed for all your hard work in putting it together over the years. Now, at the risk of stating the obvious, I think it's fair to say that the COVID-19 crisis has upended almost every aspect of our normal lives, right? Law schools have now moved online, lawyers and clients are meeting remotely, and I even saw the other day that jury trials are now being conducted over Zoom. And in this kind of brave new world, this new context that we temporarily find ourselves in, I find Julia's paper immensely compelling. Although our current situation and our current circumstances are, of course, tremendously difficult for a whole host of reasons, they also offer us this kind of window into a sort of alternate reality, if you will, in which our usual shortcuts for assessing witness credibility, shortcuts that, as Julia mentioned today, aren't all that reliable to begin with, they're very empirically questionable, those shortcuts are taken off the table. And instead, we have this opportunity right now at trial to see what happens when witness credibility is tied to substance rather than presentation. Support for Excited Utterance is generously provided by Vanderbilt Law School's Brandstetter Litigation and Dispute Resolution Program the University of Arkansas School of Law, as well as the Vanderbilt Institute for Digital Learning. The producer is Ed Chang, and the production editor is Grace DiPietro. Additional production assistance is provided by Francesca Rutherford, and music is provided by the Vanderbilt University Blair School of Music's Children's Cello Choir, under the direction of Kirsten Castle Greer. I'm your host today, Alex Nunn, from the University of Arkansas School of Law. And I do hope that you will join us next time 
when we take on another work in the world of evidence and proof.